It is, again, good to be with you in worship this morning. I'm thankful to be gathered with you. I'm thankful for our friends from Bats Chapel for being with us. I'm thankful for our youth choir and your leadership in worship today. Uh, Thank you all so much. One of the things that we as Baptists believe is that there is a priesthood among the believers, the priesthood of all the believers. This means, of course, that each believer has access to God directly. You do not need me or any other priest to mediate your relationship with God in a particular way. This sort of theological tenet came out of Reformation arguments and fights many years ago. And at its worst, a priesthood claim like this could be used to lord over somebody something. Like, well, the Lord told me to tell you that you must do this, and so you do. And maybe your grandmother told you to do it, and you did, but I don't know if it was the Lord. But this sermon is not about a priesthood at its worst, though it uses a bad priest as an example. This sermon, I hope, will be about what the priesthood can be at its best. Because a priesthood where we all are priests and we all have the power of God within us means we have a priest at every elbow. It means that right next to you are folks who can be your priests and help you in your faith. And it means that if you have someone at your elbow who can help you, then you have an opportunity to bless those who are next to you and around you also. You have, through your actions, your words, your your being, your way of interacting with others, the power to bless and nurture and encourage and strengthen. And hopefully we come to see that through an Old Testament story this morning. It's a story of Hannah interacting with the priest named Eli in a way that he potentially limits his priestly role, or at least initially falls very, very short. You can think about that as we read from the beginning of the book, Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We're going to read verses 1 through 20, not just 4 through 20, because the first few verses set the stage in in an important way. Hear now this reading of God's Word. There was a certain man of Ramathim, a Zebuphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zufu, Zuf the Ephraimite. Now this is the part that's important. Elkanah had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penaniah. Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man, he used to go up year by year, to, or from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where, he ha- where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. And on the day Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peniah 
and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, even though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, her rival used to provoke her severely and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year by year. And often, as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? And after they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli was the priest sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple. And Hannah was deeply distracted and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And and she made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you would look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant a male child, and then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of death. And he shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. She continued praying before the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only moving her lips. But her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So he says to her, how long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant you the petition you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. And then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to, to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her, and in due time... Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel. For she said, I have asked him of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's so much in this story, but we'll start with the part of the human experience that I think we've all shared which is that there are moments when we are so desperate that we do bargain with God, aren't there? I know there's members of our Christian family of faith who would tell us, no, you can't bargain with God. You shouldn't bargain with God. You don't say, God, if you would only do this, then I would respond that way. But let's be honest. Isn't it a part of the human experience that at times we get so desperate We've all done it. And if you're the exception to that rule, then thank you, and God bless you, and you are to be applauded. But for the rest of us, 
Oh, I suspect there are times when we can look back and say, God, if you would only have gotten me out of this, then I promise I will do that. And for some of you, thinking back to those moments can be, well, it's easy because it just happened. Or it's easy because it was in detention in high school. But for some of us, it's hard and it's raw and we put it way, way back there. Because we don't want to remember the times we were so desperate that we couldn't see a way to be provided for and God had to provide a way. And so we bargained. We promised something. We hoped for a return and we maybe even held up our end of the bargain. Maybe God met us in that bargain. I think that's where this story begins. But I don't think it for a second ends there. I think it ends with the priestly opportunity to bless. Maybe especially bless those who are so desperate that they're bargaining with God. So think back to the beginning. The beginning of Samuel, it starts with two wives, Hannah and Well, it starts with Hannah and Elkanah and his two wives. He loved Hannah. If you don't know how to read the Old Testament language, Hannah was his favorite. Hannah was where the romance was. Paniah was there, was taken as a wife because of what she could provide, which was children. And you remember enough about the history of the Old Testament to know that it is through your children that you have some measure of standing and help. And Hannah was provoked. Provoked because of her barrenness. And then we hear the story of her in such anguish in the temple because she can't bear a child, that she goes to the temple and she prays and makes that bargain that if you would look upon your servant, I will set the child before you until death. And she continues to pray. And this is where the story takes that priestly turn. The story where we start playing with the powers of the priesthood, if you will. The power to bless or to not bless thanks to the entrance of Eli. Eli is the priest in the temple, and if you remember from a few chapters later, Eli's sons go off the rails, and and Eli is not exactly the kind of priest that we're looking up to when it comes to stuff all the time. But the way Eli acts is troubling. It's troubling to me. I, I hope it's troubling you a little bit, but it's really troubling to the preacher because, because we, the readers, know that she's in deep anguish. She's at her wit's end. She has nothing left. And Eli foreshadows his ineptitude by telling her to stop drinking. When are you going to get your act together? Fortunately, Hannah replies, with some generosity and and says, no, 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 no. I am deeply anguished. I am not drunk. 
I am not out of my mind. I am so in my mind that all I have here is to, to do this, to pray. And the story, the interaction, it, it cuts to me, cuts me to the heart because he has the chance, he had the chance to reach out in a positive way and he totally missed it the first time around. And when I hold it up, to hold the story up as a mirror, I wonder for myself, when have I missed it? When have I missed the chance to bless someone because I dismissed them as something other than what they actually were? And as a matter of confession to you, my fellow priests, among this priesthood of believers, I, I confess that I've made this mistake. Times that I knew it, and more times than I even know I've made this mistake, and I am deeply sorry. I get distracted. I get too busy. I I move too fast through the hallways. I'm worn down. I miss the chance to offer a blessing. And instead I offer something less. I am deeply sorry. I didn't intend to do it, but... But I am guilty. And maybe, just maybe, there's a chance that here in a room full of priests, you Christians who realize you have a a priesthood also might, might realize that you missed it too a time or two. There were instances where you missed offering a blessing when you could have. There were times when instead of reaching out in support with grace, you passed someone off as something else based on a quick glance or an improper assumption. We accused someone of needing to just step it up or point it out when they needed to get their mess together or or if they could just take care of their own business. And to be sure, there are many instances in life where that really does need to happen. But that is not a universal belief or a universal reality. There are many who just need something that we didn't take the time to see. And we miss the opportunity to extend grace to someone who deeply needed it. Has that been you? Do you remember doing that? Now look, you don't come to church to hear about all the mistakes you've made. I hope not. Worship is not for us to beat ourselves up over the things that we have done wrong, for we probably do that to ourselves enough. But you know, if if we can acknowledge the mistakes that we made, then we can move on from them. Then we can grow from them. If we acknowledge the place where we fell short, then, then, then we have room to grow and let God go to work through us so we can begin to move into uh, uh, embodying a presence that is more encouraging and supportive of the people at our elbows, of the priests at our elbows.
And maybe we can attend to our words and our actions and our expressions of love so that we can not be Eli. We can claim our priesthood for the sake of blessing the world rather than for the sake of judging it. This idea that there's a priest at every elbow comes from an old Baptist pastor who's long past. His name was Carlisle Marnie. He pastored the First Baptist Church of Austin, Texas and the Myers Park Baptist Church in Charlotte. And he was a 20th century public theologian. He was one of those people that that a lot of folks just knew. Today we might call him a thought leader because we like to make up new words for things. But, but Marnie had, has, a, has his book called Priests to Each Other, which right there in that title might tell you everything you need to know about being a priest. But, but just here in the introduction he says things that are worth us remembering and being encouraged by. He writes, for centuries the church has refused to see the need to put a priest at every elbow. No professional clergy can do what the church is called to do. We must recover the priesthood of every believer or we can't do it at all. We must discover that we really are priests to each other. For every man needs a priest at his elbow. And what we're trying to say here is that lay people must become the ministry of the church in the world. It's yours. You're the only hope we have. So we need to redefine everything. This is the ministry. We have to have education and mission and evangelism and proclamation and witness and worship and stewardship in a way that creates a ministering laity in every public opportunity. So that we all can proclaim and live hope and deliverance and freedom from the slaveries of our modern idolatry. Marnie is encouraging, I suppose, probably pastors more than anything, to remember that the power in the priesthood is not in this priesthood alone, but it's in our collective priesthood. Because we all need priests who uplift and, and support. And, and it couldn't be clearer how much people need it than in this instance of Eli with Hannah. She didn't need a priest who thought he was, she was drunk on first glance. She needed a priest who could uplift and give blessing. Who would listen and serve. A priest who wouldn't immediately judge, but, but could pause long enough to see the opportunity and need to help was right there for that praying woman in deep need. And the world is full of folks who need priests like you and me, who are more concerned with those around us and more concerned with the fact that they might be going through hell right now and we can wait to determine, well, we can wait to let God determine if they're going to hell later. And so the world needs us as Christian people to embrace the power of God to bless. Not judge like Eli was so quick to do. I'm going to finish where we began. 
This morning, we baptized two of our young people, Cecily and Holden. They are our children. And to this point, we can say we've done a good enough job of teaching them well. But in the days ahead, each of them, just like each of us, is going to have choices to make on all manner of things. From how they spend their time to how they engage with others. And they'll be looking to others for help in how they do that. They'll be looking to us to help them with that. The same way that all of our children have and the same way that we looked to those who were ahead of us. So I leave us with the question, how will we leave our priesthood? How will we use our priesthood? How how will we leave this place and use our priesthood? Will we be open and will we bless? Or will we fall prey to the snap judgments that are so easily present among everyone else around us? Eli fell prey to something else. But we, we have the chance to do something different. We have the chance to use our priestly power to love and to bring about hope for everyone around us. And when we're able to do that, not only will it fill them with love and blessing, and the assurance that God is with them, but actually will do the same for us, which is what we seek. And so with that, let us pray together and ask God to help us with it. Eternal and loving God, we give you thanks for this day that we have. We give you thanks for the days that we've had, days that are so full of many priests who have blessed us. But Lord, in this day, we consider our own priesthood and the ways that you will use us to bless and nurture and care for and support and provide for others. Lord, make it clear to us how we can be used. Lord, grant us wisdom to know when to wait. Grant us wisdom to know when to speak and grant us courage to say and do that which you call us to say and do. And Lord, may all that we do be a blessing to you and to those around us and in turn be a blessing to us because we sense your kingdom coming, your will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.